God changed my life some four decades ago now. And when I say he changed my life, I mean he literally transformed me from the inside out. It was a huge change. And if you had back then at the beginning of my life of following Jesus asked me if I would ever go back to the darkness and the hell that I had experienced before Jesus, I, I, I actually think I would have laughed in your face. I would have said, absolutely not. Why would I? I've been there. I've, I've done that. But I would have been wrong. Because you see, sadly, many times, I have gone back. Though I've had the privilege of looking past the seen and the temporary to the unseen realities of God, though I've had the opportunity to witness and even sadly experience the mess-ups that come from living for the temporary rather than the eternal, there are still times that I blow it. And I live for the scene, and I make choices for the scene, and for the compelling interests and benefits of the moment instead of for the unseen and the eternal. I, it's like, why do I do that? Can, can you relate to that at all? If you can, then you need to know we're in really good company because Peter, the apostle, who made an unbelievable impact in this world, he could relate because he had... He had get, gotten a glimpse of the unseen. He had gone from living for the seen to the eternal. He had so much so been impacted that he gave up his whole vocation and, and followed Jesus. And he, he believed, as I would have when I was younger, that there was nothing that could change that. He was on go from then on. And he told Jesus, I, there's nothing that can happen that will cause me to deny you, to betray you. I'm all in. I'll die for you. And then what happened? He went back and based upon the unbelievable power of the scene, he denied Jesus three times. Paul the Apostle, who wrote a great deal of the New Testament scriptures, certainly understood. He, he was a guy whose entire life was transformed and turned upside down and devoted his whole life to following Jesus. But you know, along the way, he, he told us the truth about himself. He says, man, I, uh, there's so often that what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I keep doing, and I hate this about myself. Who's going to save me from this thing? And he kept, he forgot. And then he goes, oh, yeah, Jesus already did. And he, he had this, this tendency to slip back into living for the seen instead of the unseen, like Peter did, like I do, like you do. And the question is, why? I mean, why once we've been given a glimpse of the unseen realities of God and we started experiencing the power of his impact in our lives. Why, why do we slip back into living for the seen? And that's what I want to talk about this last weekend of this series we call Unseen. Because so many people have said that this has inspired them to want to live for the unseen, that, that they're never going to go back, that this has changed them forever. And I get it and I'm glad and I'm thrilled, but you just need to know that the inspiration in the moment is not enough to get you there forever, that there's more to it, because here's the truth. It's hard. It's hard to live for the unseen in a world dominated by the seen. 
It was hard for Peter. It was hard for Paul. It's hard for all of us to live for the unseen promises of God. No matter how powerful they are, no matter how much we've experienced them, it's hard to live for the unseen promises of God in a world so dominated by the seen where the power of comfort and the power of pleasure and the power of personal benefits in the now is so commonly raging against us. It's just the way it is. In fact, God's eternal values, you just need to know, as important as they are, are, are naturally eroded over time as we're exposed to all the, the powers of the present. And 1 Corinthians 15.33 says it powerfully, don't be misled, don't be ignorant, don't think it's not going to affect you. Bad company corrupts good character. When you're exposed to all these people living for the moment and expressing pleasure in the moment that has power to corrupt you and get you to live for the seen instead of the unseen. Look at Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. We live in a world filled with people living for the seen and declaring it being so great and wonderful, and we have our own urges for comfort and convenience and pleasure, and it's so easy to become the fool instead of the wise, to live for the seen instead of the unseen. It's hard. It's hard. I don't want anyone to think that, boy, I heard a great talk, I heard a great series, and life forever now is going to be different. It can be a catalyst to life being different, but it isn't different until you do the hard work necessary to make sure you stay in the game. And the same is true with me. So here's the application I want to share with you at the end of this series. If, if over the long haul of our lives, we're going to live lives that ultimately really do matter and measure up, if we're going to over the long haul of our lives genuinely experience the fullness of God's promises in our lives, in these words, if we're, if we're going to finish well, we're talking about our finish, if we're going to finish well, then it takes a commitment we have to commit ourselves to the lifelong process required to living for the unseen in a world dominated by the seen. We have to make a commitment to the lifelong process. And that's what I want you to be aware of. You see, ultimately experiencing the promises of God in their fullness don't come because we make a decision in a moment of inspiration in our life, though that can be a catalyst for life. What it has to be a catalyst to is a commitment to the long haul. I've been 40 years on this journey of following Jesus, and I am telling you that every single day, if I don't stay committed to the process of seeing through the seen to the unseen, I start being dominated by the seen and I start making unwise decisions again. I start living failed attempts to do things my own way again and I blow it. This is not a sprint, it's a marathon and it takes unbelievable commitment. We have to commit ourselves to taking each step necessary for developing values that endure, and we have to commit to keep taking those steps. 
I don't want you to come in here and go, oh, it's so easy for him. It seems so easy. It's so inspirational. If you get the idea that it's easy, then you're getting the wrong idea. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's against every ounce of natural motivation I have. But I can also tell you this. It's worth it. In fact, it's the only thing in the world that's worth it because experiencing the promises of God is what we all long for. Look at how Paul said it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Get the language. Sounds so pretty, but it is so messed up. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, that's great poetry. It's beautiful language. But do you get the picture? All of his life, he was following Jesus, and he didn't say, I have sat on a beautiful boat flowing through the oceans of God's love with cute little drinks with umbrellas in it, and it has been such a glorious experience. My faith is strong, and so my body is strong, and oh, life is so good. Mwah. Screw that. The Bible doesn't say it. He's at the end of his life, and he's ragged, and he's saying, I have fought the good fight. It's a fight to live for the unseen in a world dominated by seen. It's a struggle. It's a wrestling match. It's agonizing. It takes work. But he says, I've done it, and it's worth it. He said, I don't know if you got this in the language. He says, I've run the race. We have a ministry called Love Runs Here, these people who run in order to help other people. And, and I'm going to tell you, they're amazing. I, I just want you to know that I'm going to start a new ministry that's called Love Sits because I, I really <laughs> kind of like that idea a little bit better. Let's help the poor. Let's raise money by sitting. I mean, I love sits. It, love watches TV. Let's do that too. But, it's, but they love runs. And they talk about how much they love running and how much they love this thing. But I've watched them in these races. Let me tell you, they're liars. There's just no doubt about it. And at the end of the race, at the end of the training, you're like, I ran the race. It's not easy. But ask any of them, and they'll tell you it's worth it. The same is true with living for the unseen. It's hard, but it's worth it. He says, I've kept the faith. Look at, he's, he's saying this because it's not easy to keep the faith. It's easier to lose the faith. Because life's hard and life's difficult, and life's filled with darkness and disappointments, and God's unseen. Very often, we can't even understand what in the world he's doing in this world, and it's a lot easier to give up on him, isn't it? It's a lot easier to back away from him. It's a lot easier. It's easier to live for the seen. It's easier to worship God as good when good things are happening to us, but it's really hard to worship God as good when bad things are happening to us. But you know what he says? I've kept the faith. I lived for the unseen. I lived for it. And then he says it's worth it. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 4.8. Now, because I fought this fight, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge himself, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who longed for his appearing, all who lived for the unseen, all who fight the fight, who keep the faith. It's worth it. We're living in a world of broken values because we're living in a world dominated by the seen, the temporary. However, just because we're living in a world of broken values doesn't mean that we have to be forever broken by them. This is the good news of God. 
In fact, there's a biblical picture that he gives to us, a biblical example that I want to share with you. It's, it's found in what is commonly called the prodigal son, the lost son, the messed up son, the failed son. You can find it in Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. If you want to read it on your own, you should. And I actually did a, a three-part series on it last year that was impacting to me and many others. But, but I just want to give you the context of it. I'm not going to read the passage or anything. I'm going to give you the context. There was this kid, and he grew up in a great home. In fact, his dad in this story is a reflection of God the Father himself. And, and his dad taught him to live for the unseen values of God, to live for the promises of God instead of the pleasures of man. But, you know, the influences of his broken world and the power of his own desires for pleasure wore him down, and this young man fell big. He decided to invest all of his inheritance and all of his wealth on, on living large in the moment, and, and it destroyed him. His life became a tragic mess, a major failure. It was horrible, and it was there that he woke up and he realized that he had bought into a lie, that the scene looks like where the party's at, but it's where destruction's found when you live for it. And he realized that that which he ran from before, his father, was really the greatest place to be. In fact, he said, even the people who are my father's servants have it better than I am, and I don't deserve to be a son anymore, so I should go back and just be a servant in his home. He couldn't even comprehend being a son again, and, and so he did. He realized what he had lost, and he humbled himself and confessed his guilt and asked his dad to forgive him and just let him be a servant in that household. And his dad did forgive him, but his dad made him a son again and threw him a huge party. But here's what I want you to see. This is a story about us. We've done the same exact thing. We've We've bought into the idea that what we see in the moment and the pleasure and the benefits and the comfort that come with it are, are really enough. And so we compromise God's unseen truths and unseen reality and it's destroyed all of us. We've done the same thing with God the Father. We've chosen the scene over him, but he's just waiting for us to come back like the dad was the prodigal. And when we come back, it's not to be second-class citizens, but it's to be first-class children. And you know what God wants to do for you? He wants to throw a party. But to do it, you have to wake up to this reality that the seen isn't what it appears to be, and the unseen's the only place to be. And here's what I want you to see. The world didn't change. It was the prodigal who changed. The same world that influenced him to walk away from the father was still doing the same thing, but he ultimately changed. And many of us are, are blaming the world for our problems, and we're blaming these other things for our problems. And we have to realize that God can totally transform our lives, and we can be living for the unseen, but we can't wait till the world changes. We have to let God change us in the midst of this world. But if we want to finish well, then we have to commit to the process, to the long-term process. And I believe the prodigal is the perfect picture of it. Can I just walk you through it? I'm just going to show you the process that he was in. To go from tragically living for the scene to once again experiencing the full benefits of being a child of God and living for the unseen. The first thing he did, and this is what we have to do. We have to recognize our failure we have to recognize our failure. 
I talk to people all the time and say, hey, you have a relationship with God, you know God, you know. Oh yeah, man, I'm awesome. I, I'm religious and I do this and I do this. See, that, that's not the right answer. You know the right answer is, yeah, I have a relationship with God, but it's got nothing to do with me. All I was was one major failure. But my dad's a God of grace and he's forgiven me. I know God, but it's not because I've done something great, it's because Jesus did something great. He came from heaven, he died on a cross, and he rose again, and now I'm a child of God as a result of it. And, and we have to start by recognizing our failure. So many people don't think they're all that bad. I, look at, yes you are. <laughs> look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, I'm not so bad. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And if we're ever going to go from the tragedy of living below what God created us to be, then we have to recognize our failure. And some of you are, are jumping this one. You're saying, yeah, I did that 20 years ago. I did that 92 years ago. I did that 170 years ago. By the way, if you did, would you raise your hand? We want to see that you're here. I mean, it's like, I did that forever ago. Look, this is not a one-time deal. If I'm going to truly continue living for the unseen in a world so dominated by the seen, then I have to continue on a daily basis to recognize my failures here. There are times I'm good all day long at work and then I go home and I absolutely fail to live for the unseen in that environment because I'm expecting people to serve me instead of serving them there, you see? There are times that in every environment in my life I can fail on every day and I have to continue to commit to the process of recognizing my failure so I can continue to commit to depending upon my unseen God for what I need. And you need to as well, are you? I think too many of us are thinking we're flying high and doing our own thing. We have to recognize our failure or we're going to continue to fail. But it doesn't stop there, of course. If we're going to do the hard work of living for the unseen in a world dominated by the seen, we have to rationally assess our alternative futures. And this is something I, I don't think we're very introspective as a culture in general. I don't think we think in terms of this very often. We're living for the short term, which is the seen, instead of the long term, the unseen. I think on a daily basis, if we're going to live for the unseen, then we have to keep contemplating, okay, if I keep taking this path in my marriage, what's the future here? What could be an alternative future? If I keep taking this path in my, my friendships or my, my vocational thing or how I'm handling my integrity or in my sexual pursuits or whatever it is, I mean, what will be the, the ultimate future? What could it be, our alternative future? So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you contemplated your future based upon how you're living right now? Do you like the end of that? What could be the potential of the other? Jesus came to give you life in all of its fullness. Look at the passage, Galatians 6, 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, the one who lives for the seen and the pleasures of the moment, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one, different future, who sows or lives for the purpose of pleasing the spirit, lives for the unseen realities and truth of God, well, from God will reap eternal life. We have to consider, what's my future? And the prodigal was going, if I stay here, my life's a tragic failure, but I could get up and I could go back to my father and my life could be very different. And if we're going to ultimately live for the unseen, we have to keep assessing where's this path I'm on lead? 
where am I getting to? When's the last time you did that? If we're going to do the hard work of going beyond being inspired by the idea of the unseen to actually living for it in this world dominated so much by the, by the seen, we have to get to the place where we're willing to repent of our failures and be reconciled to God. We have to get to the place where we go, okay, I've failed, I've blown it, I'm on the wrong path, I need to get on a new path, and so I'm going to turn reject where I've been going, reject what I've been trusting, and I'm going to turn back to God, and I'm going to walk with him, be reconciled with him. And this is the whole point of Jesus, by the way. He came to make it possible for us to be reconciled with God. 2 Timothy 7.10 says, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, godly sorrow brings repentance. In other words, it causes, when I really experience sorrow for, for my guilt and for living the wrong way like the prodigal did, I, I reject the path I was taking and I turn and I, and I walk with God and walk on his path, I trust him. We, we have to reject and turn away from the bad choices of our past and then we need to turn to God. And some of you are saying, yeah, I did that years ago. I'm not talking about years ago, I'm talking about right now. On a weekly basis, I, I start getting on the path of the scene and pursuing some of the wrong things, wrong choices, and you know what I have to do? I have to back out. And I have to go, oh God, I did it again. I did it again. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm turning back towards you. Repentance is not a thing for a long time ago. Repentance is a thing for right now. And the reason so few of us experience the fullness of God in the right now is because we leave repentance in our past and it's not a part of our present. When was the last time you repented and reconnected with God? I mean, I've been married now for 30, 39 years, and I'm going to tell you, I can't say, you know, we got married in 79, and it's been like this ever since. We're awesome. You know what we've had to do? We've had to repent and reconcile. Repent and, okay, I've had to repent and reconcile. I've had to repent and reconcile. But it's like, this relationships only remain when you keep repenting and reconciling. When was the last time you did this with God? If it's been a while, then I'm promising you this. You're living for the seen and not the unseen. If we're going to do the hard work of living for the unseen instead of the seen, then, then we have to consistently allow our thinking to be renewed. Because our thinking gets corrupted. We're constantly exposed in this culture to the power of the moment, to the, to the pleasures of the moment, to all the things we don't have that if we have, life would be better. And I mean, it just pollutes our thinking and we start going, I want that, I'm going to live for that, I'm going to do that. And we start compromising everything that's real. And we have to consistently and intentionally do the hard work of renewing our thinking or we will be swept away like the prodigal was. And this isn't a one-time thing. This is a consistent thing. We have to keep doing it. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You know, living for the scene, living for the moment, pursuing pleasures of the temporary, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your thinking has to be renewed. And when it is, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you know what's interesting about me? I have all kinds of stories about moments in my life where I experienced God's perfect and pleasing and, and goodwill. It was like, and I tell those stories. Those are my stories. Oh, there was a time when I did this with God. Oh, it was awesome. And there was a time like this. But why not now? 
well, because if I'm not living for the unseen now, it won't be the reality of my life. Can I ask you, are you right now experiencing and demonstrating and proving out in your own life that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect? Are you experiencing the best of God in your life right now? Because if you're not, that means your mind's needing to be renewed. Along the way, I start thinking if I could just have a if God would just give us a little more success here at Northridge, then I'd be happy if, you know, and I'm being, I'm being very serious. You know, this is weird. God's done unbelievable things, but you know, and this kind of ticks me off. Did you know there are bigger churches in the world than Northridge? And it kind of ticks me off. It's like, I'm, I know I'm a better leader than those guys, you know? I mean, and you see how we start, and that's kind of a joke, but you, you see how we start going, if I was more successful, then I could be, ha and what I'm doing is my mind's being corrupted, and I have to consistently commit to renewing it, or it gets messed up. Where's your thinking at these days? Are you thinking that if you had a, you know, a different spouse, different kids, different house, different car, different pastor, that might be true, you'd be happier? You see, your thinking's been corrupted. The only way to live for the unseen in a world dominated by the seen is by consistently renewing your mind. And how do you do that? Psalm 1, 1 through 3 is a great example. Blessed, satisfied, content are those who reject the ways of the temporary world and instead delight themselves passionately in pursuing God's truth, God's word. And you know what happens with them? They become like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Their fruit is born Season after season, year after year, their leaf never withers. Nothing can destroy them. And even in the worst of times, they are still productive and fulfilled. And how does that happen? Because their thinking's been renewed by God's truth. When was the last time you allowed your thinking to be renewed by God's truth? If we're going to ultimately live for the unseen in this world dominated by the seen, then we have to consistently reorient our view. And that's what the prodigal did. He was sitting there in the muck with the pigs in this tragic moment, and he goes, oh my gosh, I thought I knew best. I don't. The Father knows best. And we have to keep reorienting our view. I really thought I could get the best out of this life by pursuing pleasure. I was wrong. He had to reorient his view. He said, I would be better off a slave in my dad's house than a free man living with the pigs. And we have to reorient our view. I have to all the time. My life gets flipped upside down. I start thinking that I've got it bad and God's failing me and these things are going wrong and other people have it better and I'm wrong. And I just need you to know that as I shared in the very first talk of this series, our view determines how we live. Our view determines our values. Our view determines what we live for. And over the course of time, as the raging winds of our world and culture start pummeling us time and time again, it's so easy for our view to get disoriented. Our view becomes dominated by the scene, so without even noticing it, we begin living for the scene and corrupting our values. And what we need to do on a daily basis, reorient our view from the temporary to the eternal. But you know what that takes? I got bad news for you here again. I'm really sorry. I'm just, I'm the king of bad news. Do you know what it takes? Training. Training. Look at how Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Train yourself to be godly. It doesn't come naturally living for the unseen. 
You have to train yourself. And, and it's important. It's worth it because physical training, all the training people do in their physical lives, careers and for relationships and physically and all that stuff, it's of some value, but, but it's only temporary. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. It's eternal. So train yourself to be godly. You train yourself for a living. You train yourself for relationships. You train yourself to run a marathon. You train yourself for all kinds of things. Train yourself to be godly. It's hard work, but it's worth it. To live godly, to live for the unseen rather than the seen, takes discipline. It doesn't just happen. In fact, let me just tell you, what happens naturally is that we live for the seen. What happens naturally is that we make poor decisions and messed up decisions. The only way to live for the unseen is by consistently training. And how do we train? By investing in the, the process and the principles I'm sharing with you right now. I have to every day go, where are the failures in my life? Where am I living for the seen instead of the unseen? I have to keep thinking about what path am I on and what's the alternative future and where do I want to be versus where I'm going. And I have, to, I have to constantly think about, oh my gosh, I'm heading the wrong way. I've rejected God's way for my way and I didn't even know it. And I have to repent of that and reconcile with God again. And then I have to, oh my gosh, my view is all messed up. My view is all messed up and I've got I've to get that thing right and I have to keep doing this work. And you know what that takes? Solitude. I have to pull away from the noise. Some of us always have the TV on and always have the radio on or always have Facebook on and we never have time to analyze what we're living for, which means what we're living for is the seen, not the unseen. And we have to reorient our view. We have to turn it back upside right. We have to get alone and start asking these questions and get in the Bible and allow our minds to be renewed and get relationships where someone will finally speak truth into our life. You know what we do? We reject the people who speak truth in our life because we want comfort in the moment. But what you're doing is you're running from the person you really want to be. Which brings me to another thing he did. If we're going to live for the unseen, we have to realign our relationships. We have to literally realign our relationships. Because by nature, we hang around with the people who are convenient. We hang around with the people who affirm us. We hang around the people who, you know, motivate us to pursue what we want to pursue. But in the end, that's just bad news. We need to make sure we align our relationships where those people who speak with the greatest influence in our life are, are speaking to lift us up towards the unseen instead of down into the scene. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.14. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? He's not saying you can have no friendships with people who aren't Jesus followers. You can. He did. He's not saying that you have to hide away in churches and never be in the world. He's not saying that because he didn't do that. But what he is saying is those relationships that are most influential in your life should be relationships where they're motivating you to live for the unseen instead of the seen. And I know some of you are in even marriages where you don't have a, an equality of faith. I get that. So what you do is you have to surround yourself with other people who can stir you up to love and good works. We need close relationships with those who move us forward. Let me just ask you, your closest relationships, is there anyone there who speaks truth into your life, who challenges you when you start living for the seen instead of the unseen? If not, you're going to live for the seen. It's really funny when I'm hanging out with people who eat right, I eat their crappy food. You know what I mean? But then, 
when I'm hanging around with people who don't eat right, they're my peeps, babe. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm eating that stuff too. When I am around people who are always going to the gym and exercising, you know, I, all right. Which is why I don't hang around with those people because, you know, then I don't have to do that. And spiritually, it's the same thing. Who do you hang out with? You know why we have all these small group things around here and all these ministry things around here, right? It's so that you can have people who stir you up instead of pull you down. Look at Hebrews 10.25. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the prodigal got in trouble because he was hanging with the wrong peeps. And then when he got right, he came back to the Father so he could be stirred to the right things. Have you made these choices? Are you making these choices then? If we're going to live for the unseen instead of the seen, we have to continually re-examine ourselves. We have to continually, important word, re-examine ourselves. This is so important, and I'm going to have this point left up here for a minute because there are three words left, but this is not a once-in-a-while thing. I can, in the matter of a couple of hours, go from being on fire for God to being absolutely far away from Him. Can't you? And I have to continually re-examine, where am I at now? If I walk into a meeting with my team and all of a sudden my intensity seems to be, you know, blowing the sockets around and they start, you know, scooting away, I have to go, what's going on? And of course, I always conclude, they suck and I need to fix it. But that's not usually what it is. It's usually me. Something's going wrong in me and I have to re-examine myself. And I go, where am I failing now? What path am I on now? Where, you know, where do I have to repent and get this thing right? And what do I have to do to, to realign my view and realign my relationship? How do I, how do I get my orientation back? What do, I, what do I do? When was the last time, serious business, when was the last time you really examined yourself? And then, last three words, and then repeat and then repeat. This is a lifelong process. I wish, I wish I could say I've completed the process, but I haven't. Every single day I have to repeat. Sometimes hour upon hour I have to repeat. Do you want to experience the fullness of God into your life? Do you want to experience the power of his promises, do you want to be the best you you can be, then you have to live for the unseen, but it doesn't come naturally, and this world isn't friendly towards it, but you can do it, but you have to stay committed to this process. So let me ask you these final two questions, okay? Just two questions, and I would hope that you carry these questions into your personal life, that they would become a part of who you are and how you live, and here's the first question. What what exactly would you say your present view is? How would you presently rate your view? And by this I mean, would you presently say living for the seen, living for the unseen? Seven, three, whatever. I mean... How would you rate your view? But don't do it how you're doing it right now, because here's how you're doing it right now. You're taking your life in general, and you're rating your view. You know, I'm pretty awesome. You know, I'm pretty, you know, it's probably seven and a half. We do too much general. I think there are probably areas in your life where your view and what you're doing for the unseen is really high. 
But at the same time, I bet you there are some areas in your life where it's non-existent. And so you need to rate your view in these specific areas. It's a discipline. Like, let, let me help you. How would you rate your view in the marketplace? In the marketplace setting where you're at, living for the unseen or seen? How would you rate your view in your relationships? In your relationship, if you're married, with your spouse? Uh, are you living for the seen or unseen in the way you relate to your spouse? How about with your kids if you're a parent? How about with your parents if you're a kid? How about with your friendships or your significant others in life? I mean, how would you rate your view there? Uh, here's one. How would you rate your view in your finances? Unseen? What's weird is, if you're not generous, if you don't give, then you can't say you live for the unseen. You're only living for the seen, what money does for you in this moment. You're forgetting about the provider of it. And you know what the majority of Christians don't do? The majority of Christians don't give. How would you rate your view? How would you rate your view in your calendar, your priorities, your dreams, your goals, your schedule? How would you... Here's one. How would you rate your view... In your social media, I would love to analyze each one of your social media and see how unseen dominates it or seen. You see, then we can go, oh my gosh, I'm the prodigal in my social media. I'm the prodigal in my finances. I'm the prodigal in my marriage. I'm the prodigal in my business. No wonder I'm not experiencing God's, God's blessings in my life, his promises. No wonder Recognize the failure. Look at the alternate futures. Repent. Reconcile with God. You know, reorient your view, realign your relationships, and examine again in each of these areas. And that brings me to the next question, the second question. What's, what's your next step in the process? What's your next step in the process in that area? I mean, is it time to recognize the failure? Is it time to repent? Is it time to realign your relationship? I, I can't tell you, but I know it's relevant to you. Here's the thing about this series and this talk. Every single one of us has a next step. What's yours? And here's the real question. Are you willing to admit it? And are you willing to take it? Or are you going to keep living for the scene? Is the tragedy around you, is the mud and the pig pen you're in like the prodigal not yet enough to get you to take the next step? I mean, if you want to experience what you're longing for, you need to take the next step. And that's what we're going to do to end this weekend and this series. And I hope you'll honor the moment and just stay quiet just for a minute. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we bow in prayer... I want to encourage those of you who say, hey, I'm already a Christ follower. I want to encourage you to go through and rate your view in these areas of your life and then decide what your next step is and talk to God about it. But some of you are here and you've never even stepped into a relationship with Jesus. You've never acknowledged your sin, your failure. You've never seen, wow, I could be away from God for eternity or in heaven for eternity. And you've never ever repented and reconciled with God. This is your moment. The Bible says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not stands condemned already because they haven't believed in Jesus. Won't you take the step into Jesus with me right now?
take my words in this prayer and, and while the others are praying on their own, take my words and make this your prayer to God. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. In this moment, I'm stepping into the unseen. I'm trusting your death on the cross to forgive me of my sin and I'm trusting your resurrection to be my source for new life and, and I'm acknowledging you, trusting in you and asking you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before I give you the last thought and send you on your way, if you prayed with me, we have information about next steps you can take in your relationship with God, and we'd love to give you a Bible of your own. And to do it, we just need to know you prayed with me. So in your program, we have this thing we call a connection card, and all you have to do is take it out and fill it out. Check either that you prayed for the first time to receive Jesus or you just renewed your faith, and then put it in one of the boxes at every exit as you go out, and we'll send you that information. And if you're watching online, hit the What Next button, and we'll do the same thing for you. If you'd like to talk to someone or pray with someone or have someone pray for you, we have a prayer team that meets up here after the service in all of our settings. I hope that you'll take advantage of that. And, and look at next week is Palm Weekend where we're going to talk about the cross. And the next weekend is Easter where we're going to talk about the resurrection. And here's what I know. Everyone you know needs the cross and needs the resurrection. And all you have to do is invite them to come in. And I hope that you'll be inviting in a big way. And I hope that you'll be volunteering. Let's Northridge this year wake the world up to Jesus. And let's all of us do it together. And I hope you'll join me on Facebook Live Wednesday as we take this talk deeper. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so excited about the future of Northridge Church. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you.